and every one of you and to have time to fellowship together with the Lord and to truly lift up our hearts to the God that we love so very much. This morning, as we celebrate Father's Day, we are in part six of our sermon series, Timeless Truths for All Seasons. And we've stated again and again that we need God's timeless truths because of the truthless times that we live in. And today I'm excited to really share one around the good father, the father that loves us so much. You know, you really shouldn't take for granted the love of your heavenly father. You know, we, we all have had parents in one degree or the other. Some would say my mom and dad, my dad, he was, was the best. They'll never make another one. He was the greatest. And, and some of us sitting here might not even know who our father was. We might say, my father is not a good father. I don't feel loved by my father. I don't have a relationship with my father. I don't do anything with my father. I don't connect with my father. And so we should not take for granted not only if we've been blessed with a good earthly father, but we should never take for granted our heavenly father and his goodness in our lives. Fathers are intended by God's design to reflect his image and his qualities and his goodness. Jesus, in talking about fathers, says to a group that's listening, if you as fathers know how in your impurity to do good things for your son and daughters, how much more will I, as the heavenly, holy, pure father, give good things to you? Because a father that's in his right earthly mind in relationship to his children, if his child asks for a loaf of bread, he doesn't give him a stone. If his child asks for a fish, the father doesn't give him a snake. An earthly father is intended to be a good, good father as he looks at the all-good father and does his best to be that image to his children. But the reality is, we know that we are imperfect. And that was Jesus' point. He actually talks about good father and you are evil and yet you do good things. But the reality of what Jesus is trying to say is, the father is pure and you're impure. And therefore, do your good things, but understand that there's only one good Father, and that is God above. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, about how blessed we are to have a good Father. Our timeless truth for all seasons comes out of Psalms 103. 
In Psalm 103, the whole essence of that psalm that David writes is he begins to praise the God that he loves. And he says, bless my soul. Bless and praise my God. Let my inmost being bless my heavenly Father. Let me praise and bless my Father because of all of His tender mercies in my life. Let me praise Him, O my soul, for His redemption. Let me praise Him for the healing that He's brought into my life. Let me praise Him because He crowns me with His love and His compassion. And that psalm ends with David saying to the people of God, Oh, let the holy angels praise Him. Let the heavenly hosts bless Him because He is worthy. But in there, He says this wonderful truth that you and I can cling to in our relationship with God. It does not matter if you live on this earth and you don't know your dad or your dad was cruel or your dad was disconnected from you. That is not the image of the father that we have. And no matter how good our fathers were in comparison to the father God is, it is dim and he is brilliant. And look at this powerful truth that comes and is timeless. As a father shows compassion for his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you remember how we opened up this series in part one of Timeless Truths? Psalm 34, verse 7 The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. We saw this word fear, and we discussed its meaning, which we'll do here in a moment, just to refresh, in case you weren't here, or maybe you forgot. But I want you to hone in, as a father shows compassion for his children, that is a good, and that is a right thing, God above also shows compassion to his children who fear him. Now, God is a compassionate God. And he is the God of all comfort, says the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But we have to understand, as we back up and look at the big picture in relationship to our fellowship with our God on an individual basis. The compassion that David has experienced and the compassion that he is saying that we should praise God for is the compassion that comes from God to the child that truly fears God. This word compassion... It's, it's actually, it's such a beautiful word. Sometimes people will mistakenly think compassion is 
just sort of empathy, and it involves empathy, but it's, it's more than empathy. It really is most closely related to the word agape love, unconditional love. So I went to researching this word, and in the Hebrew you could find the insights that it was a, a, a love, a deep love, an affection. But as I continued to go deeper, what is the root word that it stems from and, and comes out of? And there is this beautiful truth that the root word, the primary meaning of compassion in Scripture is a cherishing, a soothing, gentle emotion of mind. Now let's put that all together as this reflects who God is in your life and mine. The person that fears the Lord has a Father above that looks down and He sees them in their weakness and imperfection. And yet He sees them struggling to reach out to Him to love Him back, to bless Him from deep within their being. But He sees their failures, their struggles, their weaknesses, their concerns, their worries, their stresses, the conflicts, the battles. He sees it all because He knows that we are weak. And yet God, the compassionate God, with gentle emotion of mind cherishes you cherishes me have you ever cherished anything in your life and I would be willing to bet everything on the fact that what you cherish is a person or people in your life not things Surely there's not one thing that you have that you cherish. But oh, that special word cherish, that is set alone and apart for people. David says, God, in your weakness and imperfection, because you are striving to fear Him, cherishes you. Cherishes. And when he sees you in those moments of imperfection and failure, he acts to soothe you like a mother that has a baby that's teething and is in pain. She cherishes that baby and maybe even strokes his forehead, her forehead, trying to calm and soothe with that gentle emotion of mind because of the cherishing of that child. Or the child that falls and scrapes his knee and he's hurt and crying. A mom, a dad, picks him up, holds him, tells him it's going to be okay, speaks gentle, calm words. That's our God. Isn't that beautiful? Your God comes to you in your need with 
calm, gentle emotion of mind because that's his character. And out of cherishing and loving you to such a deep, affectionate degree, he wants to soothe your pain. Don't ever think compassion is a word that you can throw around lightly. I'm compassionate. Oh, compassionate is more than a feeling. Compassion, com- being compassionate is an action. It's, it's something that's happening. It's, it's a doing. Because that's what we see in Scripture. Why is God compassionate to those who fear Him? For He knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. He knows how we're made. Because He's the one that made us. He remembers that we are dust. You're just dust. Which is developing the thought that you're frail, you're fragile. He knows. He created you. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and God breathed into Adam the breath of life. But from dust we come and from dust we return. Your life is temporary. You're not growing stronger as you get older. You're getting weaker. You're fragile. And God knows that. And He takes it into account. Aren't you glad that that is the kind of Father that you have that is going to be compassionate in the way that we described in your failures and in your weaknesses because He's created you. He knows what you're made of and what you're like. All He asks, do you realize that all God asks is one primary thing out of your life? Now, you will hear televangelists give you 50 things to do. And probably all of them are important. There's a lot of good things to do. But there's only one thing of first importance in relationship to Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit that is most important in your life. Do you fear the Lord? Do you fear Him? We'll come back to what fearing the Lord looks like. But we wrap up this timeless truth with David saying, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. We know that's true. Aren't lilacs one of the most beautiful, sweet, fragrant smelling flowers? Ours are all gone. Our peonies or peonies, however you want to pronounce it, They're all gone. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if they lasted nine months at least? But it's just sort of an image. The way life is in nature, it's it's temporary. It buds, it blooms, and then the wind blows the petals away as they fall to the ground. That's us. Every time I look at this passage of Scripture, when I happen to move through the Psalms, you know, you think you are made of dust. Life is short. 
and it is very, very temporary. So as the father has compassion for his son, so the Lord has compassion on his people. So I hope you feel the deep love of God. I hope you feel his affection. I hope you feel that you are cherished by him. Because out of that response of what he's done for you is the response of your soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let everything within me bless the Lord. This back to Sunday, August 26th. It really is just a way for us to say there is something that we need to realize that's going on across the world in the Christian churches. Across the world in the Christian churches, 85% of the churches are in decline. And so it's our way of where we are and what God's doing in our lives to say, let us encourage, admonish people who've given up on church. Just quit altogether. Come back to the Lord's house because of the tender mercies He has shown you. Fear Him and let your soul praise His name. You know, it's hard for many churches just to get people to show up consistently on a Sunday morning. Now, I bet you some of your grandparents or, or great-grandparents, those who are no longer with us, I bet they could tell you stories. Yeah, I remember we used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, and if we had a prayer meeting, we came four times. And if we sang in the choir, we were there five. In the old days, remember the seven-day week revivals. I know churches that had a month-long revival. Culture and times and people and hearts have changed. Whatever the reason is, the reality is it is the fear of the Lord. Because here is what it means to fear the Lord because that is a big word like compassion. The meaning of fear the Lord is very rich. It has a flavor of we need to fear the Lord. There needs to be a part of us that is able to stand back and go, He is God, I am not. He is at the gate of who comes into heaven and who doesn't. His son, Jesus Christ, is that gate, that door. But this God, the creator of heaven and earth and the creator of our souls is the one that determines who comes in and who doesn't come in. Now that's just the way it is. And because he has that sovereignty in this world that he's created... The writers tell us if we fear anyone, don't fear man. 
Don't fear this world. Fear the one who can cast your soul into the fires of hell. Fear him. So there is this healthy fear of God. But that's just one part of it. But the other is awe. Your life, you are in awe of God. You've experienced enough of God in your life that you just stand back and you are in awe of His magnificence, of His beauty, of His grace, of His truth, of His wonders, of His magnitude. You are just in awe of God. And in that awe, you have this adoration. You adore God. You adore God because He has washed you clean. He has made you as white as a lamb or white as snow. He's taken that imperfection and through the blood of Jesus has cleansed you and made you pure and whole and calls you His son or His daughter. He gives you that position. That position that you could never earn because you're too imperfect. So we have all, and we adore God for who He is, and we honor Him. And this honoring has to do with seeking Him, obeying Him, finding out what His desire is for our life. And we honor Him like you are honoring your fathers today. You've probably got them some kind of gift, maybe a coffee mug that says, World's Greatest Dad but something to honor them. Are you fearing the Lord in that way? Because another part of fearing the Lord is is worship. You know, the Hebrew writer tells us in the 10th chapter that we are to be so involved in each other's lives without being intrusive and busybodies. But we are to be so involved in each other's lives as brothers and sisters that we encourage one another daily. And we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more meet together as we see the day approaching. That's what God wants from us. So there is awe. There is adoration. There is this reverence. There is this honor. There is this worship. There's confidence. Confidence in God's word that it's true. Confidence in God that he cares. Confidence in God that he is involved. And out of that thankfulness. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just thankfulness in all of your life. Most everyone here. And probably everyone, no matter what you are going through, can thank God and love. So that's what it means to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is not, in my estimation, someone gives you hellfire and brimstone and scares you into doing what's right because you don't want to go to hell for a few weeks. You know, that might lift you up and get you to do something, but God doesn't want to compel you out of fear. For God so loved the world. 
God wants to compel you out of His compassion and love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting love and life. Jesus Christ was the most compassionate Savior of all. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Our God is a compassionate God who is moved, yes, to empathy, but He acts because He loves the creation. And mostly, He loves those that fear Him. And He works in a special way in their life. There is God's universal compassion that is for all people. God causes it to rain on the righteous and the wicked. God causes the sun to come up on the pure and the impure, the saved and the unsaved. But then there is the special grace of God. The special grace that's for those who fear Him. This is what it means. Is that how you're loving your Father back? And I hope it is. And I hope that it isn't. You'll make a commitment to begin to seek God and to fear Him this way. I hope you could find a church home here if you don't have one. If you do, go with God and praise Him in that church and lift up His name as they point people to Jesus Christ. But find a place. Make it your church home. And don't give up meeting together. Luke 15. This is what compassion looks like in action. Remember Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son? We all know that story. There are two sons. The young one gets wild and rebellious, asks the father for his share of the inheritance. Father gives him his share of the inheritance, and then he goes off into a far country, and shortly after he leaves, he just squanders it in wild living ends up spending all his money, has nothing, but he's far off from home. And so he hires himself out, and now he's working on a farm. He's feeding slop to the pigs, and he desires to eat that slop because he says he's starving to death. And then one day, I think the Lord must have just sort of put something in his spirit, and it came to his sense and said, how many people back at my father's house have plenty to eat? Look what I've done. I've not been fearing the Lord. I'm going to go back home. And this is what I'm going to say. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I don't deserve to be called your son. And he's right. He doesn't deserve it. On Facebook, we had a man sitting right over here a few weeks ago that said, I came to church, but it was all I could do to get there because I didn't have anything to offer God. That's where he was at emotionally. It is where we all need to be emotionally at all time. We have nothing to offer God but our love and devotion to Him. You don't have to have conquered the world. You don't have to build the empire. You give yourself to God. He had everything. He probably gave most that morning in comparison to anybody else because of where He was at in His mentality. We have nothing to give to God but our devotion and loyalty and fear and blessing. That's where the prodigal son was. And he comes back home. 
And I just think it is so valuable if you look at this story in Luke 15. We would all say as believers, God is sovereign. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. Amen? The Lord knows in the story the Son's going to come back. But it's just look at this with me. We see seven things that compassion does from the Father to His children. The Father, when He sees His Son, the text says, He ran to His Son. That's compassion in action. The father threw his arms around his son. Three, the father kissed his son. The father gave his son the best robe, his house. That's four. Five, the father put a ring on his finger. That's a sign of sonship. The father put sandals on his feet. Seven, the father celebrated his son's return home and killed the fattened calf. That's compassion in action. That is Psalm 103, verse 13. And that's what we need to instill in the lives of our children as parents as the best we can. And if we have failed in that place, then we can go to our children and say, I have failed, forgive me. But can you imagine the emotion of the father when his son here, finally coming to his senses, realized the sin that he had committed, the wrong that he had done? Have you ever had your child come to you and say, I'm sorry? Maybe they got caught doing something they shouldn't do and they said they're sorry. We've all had that. But when is the last time you've had your child, a child, come to you? Not because they got caught, but they know they disappointed and did something wrong and said, I am sorry, will you forgive me? That's what's happening here. That's what God is seeing. And that's what God is responding to. That is a picture of one that is fearing the Lord. Your God before you even make it back home, but when you turn and make the movement towards Him, He comes running to you. That's our God. And may His name be praised forever and ever by His church and people. And I wrap up this morning by reading just a few more, one from Psalms and one from Lamentation. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And listen to this, and we know this song so well. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. May your heavenly Father continue in His compassion towards each and every one of you as you fear Him more and more in the days of head. And please make sure you bless Him with your inmost being. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, you truly are a great God. You are a God of deep, deep Love, we thank you for your compassion. We thank you for the way that you have.
cared for us. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that's ready to give their life to you, ready to look to Jesus and confess their sins and repent and be baptized, Lord, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, that's what we're praying. We're praying, Lord, that you begin a revival in our church family, just a revival of our heart and response and love to you. Let us take your compassion, not only to our children, Heavenly Father, but let us take your compassion to those around us and glorify you in this world. If you will do this, Lord, we just will continue praising you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have prayer teams all around the building, up front and in the back. If you need prayer, if you need prayer like, Lord, help me to be a better father. There's so many dads that know what it's like to to struggle. But we're just going to reach out to the Father now. Today's a day we're going to ask our prayers be directed on behalf of our dads. Lord, make us strong and faithful so that we can be a good image to our children. Let us sing and let us praise the Lord.